Hey there, listeners. Welcome to This Humana Life, a podcast for all Humana associates. We have amazing stories to tell and learning experiences to offer. We also believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insights into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible with the support of the Women's Network Resource Group and by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. I'm Brittany LaMere. And this podcast is produced by Melissa Nichols. We're looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Join the conversation in our buzz group by visiting go forward slash THL. Also, make sure to text the acronym THL to 239-355 to have new episodes sent straight to your mobile Thursday morning. (laughs) Um, And we also like to start off with a few icebreakers. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What is the uh, story behind your first name? I think it was popular at the time. I want to say we had three Kevins in my elementary school class out of 20 odd people (laughs) same thing happened with Brittany. it was the third most popular name in my birth year i need to look this up i I, the only reason i know that is i actually had to write a paper on why i why i have the first name that i have oh oh my gosh i would not have wanted to do that and um also a a, a historical event that happened the day of my birth anytime and it was a really neat kind of concept and interesting with my name carmen you said that even though you had half Hispanic, half Caucasian, European, Mm -hmm. as you're calling it. I had the same situation, but I was the only one that came out with a Hispanic name, Carmen, where my sisters are Julie, Jennifer, and Lisa. Huh. (laughs) Interesting. Now, my brother's Mario after my dad, but my other siblings, and I always wanted to be- Now, were you the older sibling? No, I'm right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle, and I always wanted to be a- a Debbie, a Cindy. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I remember putting on my papers at school, in elementary school, Elaine, because that was my middle name. And because it sounded very like everybody else's. Right, and right. She said, you're not Elaine, you're Carmen, and you better start <laughs> renaming your papers. Wow. And you can be nothing yeah, other than Carmen. <laughs> yeah. You no. are just a beautifully Carmen. Oh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's a beautiful name. It it's so interesting because I grew up Take in a very me. German community being the only Hispanic kid in school. So I'm sure that's why you wish you were a Debbie or because you're like, well, what? where's Carmen? What is that? What? So I couldn't lose my last name, though. Because I couldn't pronounce Guerrero no, in Pantoja. No. It just was not there. No. So I was known as Gur. That was because that was as good as they got. <laughs> no, no, it was Tojo. 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 <laughs> Well, that's that. I think she beats my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, how interesting though that you both have similar stories, mm-hmm. you know, about maybe not fitting in and feeling that you know that presence or feeling your heritage or your culture, and at the time not being able to embrace it. It's interesting. Yeah, and it, I really didn't get it in elementary school, but the longer like when you got into middle school and high school, you really felt it because it really was an absence there and the teasing got a, l- a lot more you know rampant because of i think kids new intentions at that point instead instead of like when they were young they just knew oh okay here's this dark-haired kid you know right so when did you when did you embrace your culture i don't know that i ever fully have 
it, it's, it's so interesting. When I first started attending Unidos events, uh, you had people would, would go up and they would hug and, and, you know, do the, the cheek kiss and all that. And I had, I was, I was like, just, what? yeah, I, I just stood back. That's not how back. Germans greet each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's, they do, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it, it was so odd to me. And so I had to kind of fit into that culture. So mm-hmm. some of them that I know now will do that with me. And I still am not a Spanish speaker, um, not, not to the extent that I would like to be. Um, I just really don't have that side of my heritage. Is it well? Okay, I'm obviously of reason. So I did 23 and Me, and I found out I always thought I was Italian and Irish. I found out I was 50 percent um, Ashkenazi Jewish, oh, and then 48 percent Irish. And so that uh, here I am, 29 years old. Just kidding. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is a whole part of me. This whole like culture piece that I've never ever ever even thought about or tapped into. So I'm still processing it, and I'm still trying to figure out, like, do you embrace it? Well, not do I embrace it, but how? Mm-hmm. How do I embrace it, or right. how do I learn more? I don't even – I mean, I grew up Irish Catholic, so it's just interesting now to hear, like, different stories about culture and what people went through because I'm, like, I'm kind of trying to figure it out now at 29 years old. Oh, uh, me too. <laughs> That's amazing. How that <laughs> But yeah, so thank you for sharing. Yeah, I'm still, still trying to figure it out. Well, I, I still think it's the great divide, too, because the way you grew up is the way you grew up. So if you embrace a culture that you never knew, are you turning your back on a culture that you had? Or are you, you know, is it more inclusive? I, I still I don't, don't have the answer to that. I don't know. But, but you know, how much of that makes up who you are and, and nature versus nurture, I guess. It's just very interesting. Yeah. Well, and I, I thought it was very interesting hearing the the last name concept because also I remember I'm pretty sure it was an Ashley Milne type podcast from the Broad Experience. Sorry, I talk about her all the time. I think she's amazing. <laughs> um, but how they, uh, especially women in the Indian community, how their names they would sometimes not want to put first names on when submitting applications or jobs because they were afraid that they would not have a job or they would not have the the equal opportunity um, to do some of the same things. So I thought it was very interesting we brought that up about last names. And I know we're still on the icebreaker question, but this (laughs) is fantastic. (laughs) But to that point, that was what Catherine Schwitzer did to enter the Boston Marathon. So it's not just particular areas. It's Mm -hmm. happened so often and probably will continue to do so sometimes so good point so i mean i feel the ice ice has already been broken and carmen (laughs) you were able to eloquently say his name would you mind introducing kevin (laughs) we are so happy to have kevin guerrero in the studio with us today and uh, what we normally ask right off is tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey here at humana so at humana i have as as we recently discussed we're 29 years old Tara and I so I've been here for 16 years so I you know I started working uh, right at middle school you know you get it so I I actually got my foot in the door with uh, Humana One which no longer exists as as an agent which was interesting to get your agent's license after having a, a career that was so different than anything else and start to start down that journey of of selling because I 
knew from even being 13 years old that, <laughs> that, that I don't think sales was for me. And I can remember, just distinctly remember this time when, because when we started, we were on the phone, but in between, in the summer, we didn't have to do it. But once Labor Day hit, they wanted you to wear a tie every day. So I can remember looking at myself in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, what have I done? I am a tie-wearing insurance salesman. Where? How did I get to this point? Right. And were you in the, the AV audio broadcasting field prior? I was I was so in broadcasting. Prior okay, to that. yeah. Yes. So giving up that creative side to go work for the man. <laughs> exactly. I kind of morphed into it in that I went for my broadcasting career, started doing some mental health with uh, unlocked and locked facilities. If anybody remembers the old charters and working with kids, um, and so that was that was really a joy and a passion, especially if you were to work with the acute side because in mental health especially when you're working with adolescents, you realize that most of the problems or the issues that they are having are not really psychiatric. They're more behavioral, especially when they're when they're on the acute side. And what that means is they've gotten into a bit of trouble and, and enough trouble to have landed them into a facility that someone feels that 30 days or 45 days would do them well in counseling. I really like to deal with that. Who knew that years later, that would be what I am really dealing with as a career and development coach for Humana. And that I don't, it's not really behavioral issues, but it's its t- breaking down the psyche and, and figuring out why people have barriers and, and why people put barriers in front of themselves. It's just so interesting because our definition of coaching and what we are trying to get instilled into Humana because if you ask the normal Humana leader, they will say coaching is a bad thing. Coaching is, it's a coaching moment. It's, you know, when someone has done something that needs correction Correction. or even you hear coaching them out, you know, which is a graceful way of saying I'm firing someone and I'm documenting it. So what we're trying to implement and instill, instill in Humana is that coaching takes good to great and takes great to spectacular. And, and also, so you're in the actuarial field. You're a coach for, for that actuar- side yes. of the business. Um, I will admit, I asked you numerous times, like, well, what do actuaries do? And you're like, I actually do coaching and development um, <laughs> because that, that's a that's a passion of yours. And um, you are going back to school now. Yes, yes. I am actually 75% done with my org and leadership degree from the University of Texas at Dallas. Can you get us football tickets? I don't think the University of Texas Dallas has Aww. a great football team. The, the, the Comets are not well known. <laughs> well, I I was hoping that there could maybe be some tie-in. The UT, I got excited. Um Tell us more about the masters. Actually, what it does is it, it I think it's going to help with Humana because so many of our people who have studied coaching or who know coaching tenets are in the organizational effectiveness portion of the business. And, you know, so it means that they've studied change management and they've studied, you know, leadership and, and leadership development and things of that nature. That's what this master's takes on is it's it's rounding everything out so that for me in in my vernacular, I'm not a one trick pony that if 
you know, someone all of a sudden doesn't want coaching in the business or doesn't doesn't feel that it's uh, something that an, an internal person should do, that I have other skills to fall back on. And, and certainly I, th- I feel like I have other skills before the master's, but I think this will round me out as someone who's working in the space where I am because I never envisioned myself in an HR space either. So there's a lot of things I'm doing that I'd that young me would just, you know, uh, run away screaming into the night. <laughs> <laughs> but no tie. So no, good. no tie. No tie. So. Yes. I actually there's funny story about that. I worked in every building of Humana, I feel or almost. And the point where I got to uh, my role at the tower Bruce had just started probably two months prior and had eliminated the whole tie, wearing a tie to work every day. So it's all about timing. It's <laughs> all about timing. That's so true. <laughs> I think you kind of touched on what's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career. But can you, is there another part of that? Because I, I just remember you saying when I first began my career, if I had known that, then I wouldn't yeah. be in what I am now. Right. So what else can you share? Um, well, for one thing, when you start in broadcasting, which is an extremely, to, to me, it's an extremely exciting field. You meet extremely eclectic people, mm-hmm. and it, it's just so much fun, but it doesn't pay anything. It pays mm-hmm. hardly anything. So the, the whole idea as to why you get free concert tickets and free food and you know when when you're doing this is because you have to because that's that's how you survive <laughs> that's how you survive the rest is on car and and rent yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i think just going back to that in in my exit from broadcasting i wish i had known how to handle that situation better there were a lot of things that that happened that drove basically my entire station out because there was a management changeover and I just wish I had known how to handle it a little bit better because the, uh, oh gosh, and I, I guess this was the nine-year-old me, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but really, the the early twenties uh, version of me just didn't know how to go from someone who was probably one of the best leaders I'd ever had in my life and just absolutely trusted me with everything that that we did as long as I stayed within the parameters to someone who wanted to watch over me and and it was the first time I'd ever uh, dealt with someone really peering over me and figuring out like here's where where are you at this very moment in time and did you leave for five minutes to you know get a sandwich or I mean just and I'm maybe over exaggerating but there were there was a lot of that because I was I was afforded so much freedom as a creative director that no one really cared where I was as long as my work got Job done, done. Yeah. yeah so I, I wish I knew how to handle that a little bit better yeah. so what would you tell yourself now I would tell myself to not put all your eggs in one basket to really network and and get to know people at other places and just because a situation is good now doesn't mean it's going to be good tomorrow and to make sure that you always have open doors to go to because I really it was fortunate that I was working dual jobs at the time because when I had had enough and I couldn't take anymore I had to basically change my career which was again something that I never thought I would do. So we've been talking a lot about networking with our guests. And so obviously you touched on why it was important. So how do you define networking and 
um, you know, you shared why it's important to keep your doors open, but you want to expand any more on that? Yeah, and to tie it all together, we're it's funny we're actually learning a lot more of that in that uh, the master's program that I'm in, because so many people feel like networking is I need to, and and I just said this, keep the doors open, but it's it's so interesting. A lot of people won't connect with others until they need something mm-hmm. or until there's a bad situation, and networking is to me is really making sure that you're connecting people with people in good situations and making sure that you are again connecting on a different level rather than work and you know it doesn't have to be completely personal but knowing someone's uh, situation just a little bit so that you you have a little bit of knowledge about them and not just what can you do for me and then there's the reciprocation factor as well, you know, because if you make yourself so, and I hate this word, busy, that you can't pay anyone back once they've done something for you, the relationship will fail. And, you know, networking fails to, ceases to exist. Kind of the pay it forward. Yes. Situation. And and I think that was um, shared very kindly and sometimes we do hear the phrase what's in it for me you know why do they want to connect with me but Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately I think Humana has now we've all been kind of empowered to share and share the knowledge as our podcast is doing and and that uh, I think it's speaking up and just sharing what you want to know and know about that person and about their work and because I think there's so many fascinating people to speak with out there and so much to learn so and spread your wings, right? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I'll, I'll make a call out right here if I can to uh, Paul Baldwin. Just me knowing Paul Baldwin and uh, with the coaching aspect, I had the opportunity earlier this summer to speak to um, a lot of people from the foundation's uh, strategic partners. And it was about 10 to 12 organizations. Uh, ended up being 60-ish people from the strategic partners to actually instruct them on coaching for an hour. And it was something that I wouldn't have had a chance to do had I not had a you know previous relationship with Paul and that he knew you know what I was doing. And really, he said a lot of it was we were out on buzz and, and talking about and talking about coaching, which I don't do very often, but I guess it was often enough. Well, I was just going to say, too, with coaching, so I'm a people leader, and I got to go through a really great training recently called the Leadership Pipeline. But one thing that they focused on is the act of coaching. And so they did speak to, you know, that it's not always a negative thing. It Really, coaching should be done through every interaction um, that you have with a direct report. But I say all that because... I've been a leader for almost four years, and I've never really had any instruction on coaching. Mm-hmm. And think about how coaching is at the heart of developing people and creating other leaders or just, you know, helping people be the best they can be in that role. So I think you're you're really on to something with how can we create a culture that is embracing coaching and helping us all really just grow from it. So that's a good point. You know, me, individual coaching is great because some people take it, they utilize it. Sometimes they'll pass it on to their teams or their direct reports or even their peers. But when you actually systematically take 
the leadership and say, here are some coaching tenets. Here are some ways to do it and put your spin and creativity on it. Go. I think we'll we'll get a lot. Well, and the why. So as you know, as when you sit down for your mid year or your final, you know, end year review, you don't want to get to a point where you're like, wait, I didn't know that I was falling short on X. You know, I didn't know that this was an area. Nobody ever said anything. But how it's the leader's responsibility to to bring that to the associate so that nobody's surprised at the end of the year. I think that's also a huge part of it. I mean it's just there's there's just so much and and I'm with you. I'm there very passionate is, about is. it. And, and again, I think there are people who are absolutely Rock wonderful stars. at development coaching and, and or wonderful at performance coaching, getting the best performance they can out of someone. I really think, and this is just a personal belief, that at least 50% of the one-on-ones should be, how am I doing? And, Definitely. you know, how can I get better? And then the leader asking me, what do you want to do? How do you want to be in a better state this time next year? You know, what would you like to achieve? Yeah, and, and the call to action to do so. Like, I had a leader once, I've, I've shared this before, but I said, I really don't know how I'm doing. You know, I'd, I'd love some feedback. And she said, as a, you know, a long, long time ago, but mm-hmm. she said, um, all, as long as nobody complains about you, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, no, my personality is like, I need more. Right. But at the time I was like, that stinks. Like, I don't want that to be like the the line that yes. says successful, not successful, um, and how important it is to really address address how folks are doing and how they could be better. Most people who are probably listening to this podcast fall on that side of like, where right. of I want to know. I feel like I that's also know. a generational thing that there's been um, been in school learning about it like millennials are are those that are needing more constant feedback and just to your point tara needing some more than just well as long as you're not being complained about like you know i will say that since i started actively coaching in the actuarial community five years ago five plus years ago that more millennials came to me i think it's more accepted i think it's something that they can embrace Gen Xers, uh, boomers, it's just not something that they were taught is a thing. It's not that they don't need it. You know, I think it's it's based on personality. So I think for that, for it to be a generational thing, it's just more accepted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just people being more, speaking up is something a little bit more common. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't consider myself a very good millennial compared to all the other things that we're supposed to, all the other traits we're supposed to have. But yeah, getting that that feedback, and I feel that's part of career development and growth. And and really, like you said, just asking for it because in the times that I have actually had a client who was a baby boomer or a Gen Xer, uh, there's so much to unearth, and it's and it's so great to watch that happen. To the other point that I was going to say is there are a whole class of people on the other side of the fence, whether it be boomers. Xers, millennials, who, as long as nobody's complaining, I'm good. Right. And, you know, and, and, and that's okay. You know, if that's their mark of success, the, of, of success or, or satisfactory performance, then I don't, I don't want to shove coaching down someone's throat. And that's not what we do. It's, it's absolutely, to me, it's absolutely a voluntary effort that I may ask you more questions than 
the average person, but I'm not going to quote unquote coach you if you're happy with where you are. Well, so, but I think there's a difference between being happy where you are and not having like a clear understanding of what the expectations are. Because at this point, I feel like in time with that, with Humana, with the industry, with the constant change, like we all have to be on our toes and be kind of looking ahead. And, you know, it's not enough to just do our job and do it Mm -hmm. well. Like it's not, I mean, in, in terms of how fast the company is changing and moving and things are happening, we have to be on our toes and reaching a little farther and striving um, to do better. And I think, and maybe I'm messing up coaching definition, but I think that's where coaching comes in. Because if you have someone who's like, oh, I'm doing fine. I don't have anything for you. I'm like, well, that's a problem because we all have an opportunity to keep growing and figuring out spaces to move into and evolve. And I don't know that we can just sit around anymore and say, well, I'm, I'm doing my job. What are your thoughts? I'm conflicted on that. Two things. I mean, I've been around Humana a long time, so I know there are there are certain roles that seem to be more static than others. Mm-hmm. They don't require a lot of movement. Okay. So they, they don't require someone who is wanting to be promoted and mm-hmm. take on more responsibility and do this. They, they require people who want to continually be better at their jobs so right. that they can continue to do that. Right. You know, so I don't think anyone is just sitting there spinning their wheels, but I think there are people who are on the uptick because that's their it, right. it's their DNA. It's it's absolutely you know I need to man a team of of two hundred people and and I, I need to be the leader you know for that. And then there are people who are like I want to do my job and go home. Right. I want to be good at my job, but I want to do it and go home. But that's that. But I want to be good at my job, and that does require growth daily growth yes and and i think you know because so many people get hung up on this well when's the next promotion well you know how could you possibly be there for 10 years you know because i'm not the same person that i was 10 years ago and if that's okay for me that's great you know i think that the idea is to identify the the people is like if you want to be here that's great. Let's continue to grow you. If you don't want to be here, let's figure out how to grow you out of the position and not. And I think so many times because we're such a large company, those people who want to grow out of the positions have a tendency to get stuck because they're not loud and verbose that all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, they're happy where they are. But you've never asked, you know, so that's the idea is to let's ask. Let's really figure out where people want to be. I think that's extremely important. And so the WNRG, we do uh, mid-year engagement surveys and try to really listen to our, our members and what they need. And that was uh, one thing that we had to kind of go back and learn and facilitate how we were going to go over that whenever people were saying, I'm really happy in my job. I, I don't I don't want to go up and out. I'm satisfied with what I'm doing. And so coming up with programming surrounding that on ways to uh, feed into them and to give them the development that they want without mm-hmm. trying to seem like we're pushing to go career career growth up and out ladder lattice stuff. Exactly. Yeah, because so many people don't want that the added responsibility that will take away from their family, that exactly. will take away from their outside interests that are important to them. Because you know we have to remember that for some people the job is life, right. and for some people it, my life is doing the job and and doing it well so that I can contribute to my company, but then doing it so that I have enough money to go live my, my life. life. Uh-huh. 
And that's it for this episode, but the conversation isn't over. Make sure to catch part two next week. You can share with us on buzz at go forward slash THL. And don't forget to subscribe by texting THL to 239-355. We want to thank you for spending time with us this week. We can use our guiding behaviors and speak up with candor to share our Humana stories through this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going together about this Humana life. Until next time, be intentional, stay curious, and inspire others.